Thanks for watching this episode of Turning to Him. I invite you to just take a few seconds right now at the beginning and subscribe to this channel so that you can get more videos like this in your feed. Thanks again. Hey everybody, my name is Zach Batty and this is another episode of Turning to Him. Today, I'm really excited. Uh, we have Macy Hall with us. Uh, Macy, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Thank you. You know, I should probably learn. Is it doing well or doing good? Are you an English major? I'm not an English major, but I'm focusing in English and it's doing well. You do well. Being. Yep. Okay. I'm doing well. Well, my mother would be proud then. I got it right. <laughs> um. Again, thanks for being on the call with us and sharing this interview. Before we really get into the meat of it, share with us a 30-second summary of what you wanted to talk about today. Um, So a little bit about what I'm sharing today is how I lost my mother to a terminal form of brain cancer while I was seven months into my mission. Um, and kind of what I did to get myself out there, knowing that I might not see her again, um, staying out and focusing on Christ, even though it was hard back home, and returning and kind of getting into life with all the struggles that entails of not having a mother. Wow. Okay, this is a big topic. This is a, this is a heavy issue. Yeah. Um, so thanks for being willing to talk about it. Yeah. Um, give us some background. I mean, where did you grow up? So I'm from a little town in northern Utah called Bothwell. Um, it's just outside of Tremont, which is a slightly bigger town, which is pretty close to Logan, which is a little more recognizable for people. Okay. Home of the Aggies? Around there, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, big family, little family? I have three older brothers. Um, the oldest two are twins. We're all pretty close in age, like the twins are just five years older than me, so we all grew up pretty close to each other. And then I've got my parents. So. Okay. Um, how big of a town? You said is it Bothwell, like with a yeah. T? Bothwell. Mm -hmm. Okay. How big of a town is Bothwell? Um, if this is anything to describe it for you, there are no stoplights. Okay. There are no stores. You can't purchase anything out here. And the traffic you run into the most are animals being herded or tractors. Okay. All right. That definitely helps paint a picture. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So you grew up in this town. Uh, do, you, do you enjoy the town? Do you seek for something a little bit bigger? Is it just your speed? How do you like it? It is so perfect for me. When I went on my mission, I was in Detroit. And so it's like, big city crazy life kind of stuff and it was like culture shock for me um but I recently got married a few weeks ago and I moved to a town just outside of Logan which is a little bit bigger than where I'm from currently like where I'm from the Bothwell town and it's hard I miss it so much Bothwell is just my speed well congratulations on the marriage thank you yeah I definitely want to hear about the culture shock of Boston and everything and, and how that affected you but Okay, so um, I assume then in a small town, is it uh, predominantly members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? 
Yeah, for the most part. It's also like um, a really heavy farming community. So there's a few of those people that are like just set in their ways and will never, never like change anything about themselves. And so it's it's a little mix of both. But I would say predominantly, yes, it's members of the church. Okay. And the only reason I ask is because, um, you know, I mean, it sounds like in a small town, first of all, somebody going on a mission, kind of the, the whole town is in on that. And then yeah. also your mother passing away. I mean, this is, I'm assuming a small community, this affected the entire town. Oh, for sure. Okay. So going, going back, um, you said that at the beginning, you went on your mission knowing that your mom had this illness. So walk mm-hmm. us through, like, has your mom had this illness your entire life? Is this a diagnosis that came as you were an adult? T- talk to us about that. Yeah, so I had always wanted to go on a mission, and I was like, as soon as I'm old enough, as soon as I'm getting there, I'm doing my papers, and I'm going. Um, my mom, super, super healthy person. She actually has a history of a lot of, like, health issues in her family, and so she was so healthy. She was gluten-free, dairy-free, red meat-free. Like she was so careful with her diet. She made sure to exercise. Like she took care of herself so good um, because she wanted to avoid like a lot of health problems that her family members had faced. Um, She had had thyroid cancer before, um, but they just removed her thyroid and she was on medication for it. And so she was cancer-free. But right around the time that I submitted my papers, actually, she had found... um, they had found a, they were calling it a cystic lesion. They didn't want to call it a tumor. They just wanted to call it like a little cyst kind of thing on your brain. Cause it's a little scarier that way, a little less scary that way. Sorry. Sure. Um, so they had found this in her brain because she started acting a little funny. Like um, she wasn't thinking as quickly and she wasn't remembering things very well. And it was just like, not right for her. She was super bright, super smart. So they took her in, got her an MRI and stuff. And, and that's when they found that. Um, but right when I got my mission call, actually, is when she was diagnosed that they had found more tumors and they had found out that they were very cancerous. And it's what's called glioblastoma. Um, it's like a stage four kind of thing. And they said that she could live for two more months or she could live for two more years. It, it wasn't anything that you could tell or prevent or anything. It was just kind of there and it was life now. And so I had gotten my mission call. And she had just barely gotten her diagnosis of the glioblastoma. And I was so unsure of like what I was going to do. I like, like I said, I have three older brothers and two of them were moved out, married, starting lives and stuff and working. Um, another one still lived here, but he was working. And then my dad obviously was here working as well. And so I thought I was kind of the only one that could stay to take care of her. I didn't want to have to make everyone stop working stuff just for me to go on a mission. And so I was seriously considering like saying never mind and kind of staying home. Um, but I received a priesthood blessing from my uncle one night when my mom's brain had kind of had like a fit thing and she went to the ER. And my uncle in this priesthood blessing, he had addressed that um, it seems like I could consider staying home. And I hadn't told anyone that or that I was thinking of that. And he, I was promised that if I went on a mission, that that would be the best way for me to bless my family. And so I decided that I would go and no one really knew that I was considering not going from the beginning. It was like, okay, she's going. But I knew that I was seriously thinking of being home, Um, but I knew that I needed to be there. And it was weird because like 
I mean, you ask about how it came to be with my mom, like receiving this illness and stuff, but she was completely healthy, completely normal, so smart, so together. Um, and we just watched her slowly deteriorate, deteriorate with her brain, just not being able to do what it does. Wow. So, okay, you receive your call. When do you go into the MTC or do you go into the MTC or did you do home MTC? It was during COVID. So I was at home. Um, she got her diagnosis in the last few weeks of October of 2020. I got my mission call in November of 2020 and I started MTC in February of 2021. Okay. So there is, I mean, definitely a number of weeks here where you are watching your mom decline a little bit. Yeah. Yep. Um, during that time, did you ever find yourself thinking, man, I know that I had a priesthood blessing and it, and it suggests this was the best way, but I mean, are you sure? Are you sure about this, Heavenly Father? Oh my gosh, I thought that so many times. And actually, like when I was in the MTC, we didn't have anyone else coming and staying with her while I was in my classes. She was just like going about her day and she knew that she needed to take it easy. And so she was. But she hit a really rapid decline when I was in the MTC. And like a week and a half in, we had to have our grandmas come and stay with her throughout the day and help her and be there for her because I needed to focus on my studying. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then you go on your mission. You leave mm -hmm. on your mission. Was that difficult? I will say that hug, I'm going to cry. Um, that hug at the airport was probably the hardest thing I've ever done because I hugged her knowing that I probably would never see her again. Yeah. But I also feel like leaving on terms like that and having to exercise my faith in that way really strengthened me as a missionary to be able to ask other people to exercise faith. Hmm. What is your mom's feeling about this at this time? So because of where her tumors were, it was kind of pinching on nerves that take a lot of like critical thinking kind of stuff in her brain. And so she kind of slowly started to become like a child. Okay. Um, like she knew she wasn't saying things right. You can see the frustration in her eyes, but she obviously like knew that like it would be good for me to go. But she, I remember her telling me a few times that, man, I wish you could just stay. Wow. That's kind of hard to hear. Um, you mentioned that this gave you some experience on your mission where you could ask people to exercise their faith. Talk to me about that. Yeah. So as a missionary, um, if anyone like isn't super familiar, even like doesn't really know the depth of that lifestyle, 24 seven, you are just thinking about other people and how to help them and teaching them. Um, and so from nine, oh, I don't even know if I know the schedule. But anyways, from the morning till the evening, all you're doing is trying to find people to teach and teaching them. And there's people that have 
struggled with addiction for years, those people that have battled family issues for years that you're asking them to overcome so that they can grow closer to Christ. And I mean, most of the time, like 18 to 21 year old girls and boys have not struggled with those things. They they just don't know. Like I haven't had a smoking addiction and I haven't had all these huge financial troubles, but I was able to like empathize in a way and sympathize with people because I had a big trial that I had to overcome um, and I had to exercise faith in a big way. And so it, it, it put me in a position to be able to ask them to exercise faith, but also be an example as like, we can do this together. Like I'm doing this right now. Yeah. You touched on something and I'd love to get your opinion on it more. Um, sometimes missionaries just by the fact that they are 18 to 21 years old um don't have a lot of life experience Mm -hmm. did you ever have companions where you know maybe they just maybe they were just I i forget who i'm quoting but they were caught up in the thick of thin things and you just wanted to say you don't you don't know what trials are you don't know like the fact that it's raining outside or or you didn't get a letter for the past three days <laughs> like that's what's got you upset let me tell you about what's difficult talk to me about that i i don't know that just like makes me think of so many things um i definitely had a few companions that it was it was a little hard to try to get them in a more humble mindset. But I I feel like I had a lot that were humble enough to understand, like, I don't know what you're going through, but I'm here to support you. Or that recognize, like, I, I, I realize that I haven't experienced something this hard, so I'm just going to let you two hash this out. Like, it, I feel like I had a decent amount of that. But with, like, my trial and my experience, you said, like, you don't understand, like, kind of thing I definitely felt that like it was so frustrating sometimes to have people be like oh I didn't get to talk to my mom today and I was like huh I'm sorry like it's just like frustrating to hear those things sometimes like you don't understand like how it is to not have her there so I'm sorry you didn't get to talk to her one week kind of a thing but I don't know I feel like in a missionary setting a lot of what you're running into is people that are humble enough to to at least realize that they don't understand yeah. Well, good. I, I mean, it sounds like you had a really positive experience there. Um, one of the things that always blows me away is how relative the lessons are that Christ teaches us, that our Heavenly Father teaches us, and that at a very young age, I love the analogy of life being a college, and all of us are enrolled in different classes. And at a very young age, you got enrolled in a doctorate level class in a 900 level class of faith and of grief and of coping. Um, What do you say to a person who is enrolled in grief 101 and they are just struggling with it? Um, I think the funny thing about grief is that in any level, it feels like it's always harder for you experiencing it. Um, I actually, I have a friend who lost her dad at a very young age as well. And we were talking the other day about 
this lady that we know who is definitely in her 60s and her dad was far into his 90s and he had passed away and she was like very dramatic and upset about it and we were just talking about like she has no idea like she got him her entire life she got him when she was having her kids and and getting through all this stuff like why is she being so dramatic about this but I had to humble myself and remember that it's not any easier to lose someone at any stage of life I think um and being in the 900 level course on grief and talking to someone in a 101 um it's always going to be hard and it's it's not ever going to feel like I've got this or like this test will be fine it's always going to feel like it's hard because it's one of those things that doesn't ever just like go away it's not like a you overcome this it's like a you learn how to live with it and so it's about building color around a dark space instead of drowning out the dark space. And even if it's this small or this big, it's still going to hurt. Yeah. Okay. I, we're going kind of out of order here and I apologize. That's my fault. So, I mean, you leave, you leave the airport, you give your mom a hug, which is probably at this point in your mind, probably the last time that you will see her and last time you'll hug her. Mm-hmm. And then, you go into the mission field, which in and of itself is not an easy experience. I mean, you're going from <laughs> flights to Detroit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how was that? Um, the culture shock was crazy. I, I remember the first night that I was finally used to the sound of sirens so I could sleep. <laughs> and I remember when... I smelt weed and it didn't give me a headache. And I remember too being so scared to have to drive because I'm used to no stoplights, like super easy, chill, dirt road kind of stuff. But as a culture stuff, that was that was wild. Um, but with adjusting to missionary life, I think a lot of people experience a lot of homesickness and a lot of struggles like that. Um, but I think that was one of the compensating blessings that I received because of leaving my family in that situation. Like, obviously I missed them and it was hard to leave them, but I didn't experience homesickness as bad as I thought I would. That was something I was really worried about, but I firmly believe that that's one of those things that heavenly father was like, you've got enough going on. Don't worry about this. Mm, Sure. Now you correct me if I'm wrong, but you served at a time when um, you could call home weekly and do zoom calls weekly. Mm -hmm. Is that true? how was it was it difficult to um I mean obviously you still want to be involved with your family they're your family for eternity but you also need to focus on the mission and so you've got a lot going on in the mission and you have a ton going on at home how do you balance those two things it's hard and I feel like it really depends on the missionary to determine if they're going to be distracted by it or not Um, I think a lot of people were worried when they were like, you can call home weekly, that it was going to be a lot of a distraction. But it really, it lands on the shoulders of the missionary. And I decided that that wouldn't be a distraction for me, but that I would take that as a blessing. That that's more time that I got to spend talking with my mom in some of her final days. And feeling a little more of mourning with those who mourn with my dad and, and that kind of stuff. Um, And it definitely was harder some days. I remember a few transfers where every single week 
I would get off the phone and I would just be like so sad and my companion would know and she'd come and sit with me for like 20 or 30 minutes and we would just like talk she would say how's your mom how are things going and she was so sweet and understanding but I would say that being able to call was way more of a blessing for me than a distraction because it motivated me to be focused and it motivated me to work hard because I knew that it would bless them yeah I, I just I can't imagine um, what you had to go through to to balance that. And I, I think compartmentalize is probably the wrong word uh, because it's all life. And, and so it's I don't know that compartmentalizing is the right strategy, but I mean, there were there was a lot of that, though. You yeah, kind yeah. of have to separate. OK. Um, talk to me about kind of what happens when you know that your mom's life is coming to an end here and and her transition, her passing, how did that work with you on a mission? Um, I kind of got to a point where I was able to notice a lot of big changes in her every phone call. Um, and I actually, my mission president was kind enough to and felt inspired that I should be able to call home when I felt directed to. And so occasionally on a Wednesday or a Saturday, I would I would call my mom and I would talk with her and, and see how she was doing and stuff. And I was very grateful for that because in those last, like it, it was so clear that those were her last few weeks just because of how bad she got. Like she got to where she couldn't walk and then she got to where she couldn't stand up on her own at all. She got to where she could hardly lift her arms or hold her head up. She got to where she couldn't talk and struggled to open her mouth to even eat or swallow. And like you could obviously see that these days were coming and it took a toll on me, but I think being able to be a part of that and like being able to call home kind of made it a little easier to know, like it wasn't like a shock. I didn't get this random phone call and be like, oh my gosh, she's gone. Like, mm -hmm. I was like okay, like she's peaceful now. Um, I don't know if you're ready to like jump into the next part of this, but I, I so vividly remember the day that I got that call. My companion and I were in church at a YSA ward. We actually covered two wards in that area. And so we had already been through one family ward in the morning. We were hungry and ready to go home, but we were sitting down for this next block of church. Um, we were sitting in the chapel, actually waiting for sacrament meeting to start. And you share a phone when you're a missionary. So my companion had the phone and she got this text from our mission president that said, Sister Newman, when you're ready, will you please call me? And I knew like instantly, like I felt it in my heart. My heart just like dropped to the floor and like I just sunk and I could feel that. And she knew and she didn't think I had seen it. And so she was like wondering how to tell me. And I was like, let's go call him. And so we stepped down to the hall and I called him and he told me and he told me to call my dad. And so I called my dad and we just sat on the phone together and cried and didn't say much. I remember him telling me that he missed me, but that he knew that I was in the right place. And I remember him telling me that she was peaceful now. And I felt that so sure. And I don't know, it's, 
it's really confusing to kind of be in a position like that. And like I mentioned, it it was clear that she was kind of reaching that point because of how rapidly she was declining. And so in the months ahead, I had prayed and prayed to know what to do, if I should go home and be with my family or if I should continue serving. And um, I had received an answer that I should continue to serve. And so I knew I was going to stay in the mission field, but I actually got the opportunity to head home and be there for the viewing and the funeral and then be straight back to the mission field and home in time for the baptism of one of the people we were teaching. And it was really crazy to kind of be in that position. Um, but I would also say, again, that was another huge blessing that kind of helped me in my grief process and in, in my mourning to be able to go and have that closure, but be able to hop right back into things and just get busy in the work. Yeah. No, I mean, that's always one of the great, I can, I can remember talking with my companions because we, it's not uncommon that somewhere in your mission, one of the missionaries loses a sibling, loses a parent, car accident, yeah. like that. And so it's a common discussion of, well, would you stay or would you go home? Would you, what do you do? And it's one of those tough situations where it just seems like the answer is the spirit will direct. And that's so difficult. That's so difficult at times. Um, what a blessing it was for you to be able to do that. Yeah, for sure. I, it's definitely one of those things that you have to follow the spirit for. I remember being in the call with my mission president, like knowing that it was getting that time. I actually feel like it was just two weeks before she passed away, but I was in my weekly interview with him and I was like, president, like, what am I supposed to do when this happens? And he was like, sister Newman, I can't tell you what to do. Like you got to find that out for yourself. And I eventually received my answer, but it's, it's definitely something that no one else can tell you what to decide. And you, you really need to know if, you're going to go home or if you're going to stay. Yeah. It sounds like in your situation, you were blessed with um, a lot of forewarning. I mean, this was not, this was not out of the blue. You knew that this was coming in so you could prepare for it. What yep. do you say to the missionary who gets the call that their brother was randomly killed in a car accident or that their mother was, you know, unexpectedly passed away? I don't know what you say to that because I feel like saying something can seem, I don't know, like just putting myself in that position, it feels like you have no idea how this feels kind of thing. Like, why are you trying to tell me it's going to be fine? Like, you don't know. But I mean, maybe it is super comforting too to hear like those things from being, from having forewarning I think what I would say is just that, like, it doesn't feel right. And a lot of days you're going to feel like you shouldn't be there if you choose to stay. But in the end, what are you going to be able to look back on and feel more proud of? What are you going to be able to look back on and and feel more comfortable about? And that's ultimately what kind of, like, made that decision for me. Like, I think if I would have went home, like, yes, I would have been able to support my family. And yes, I would have been able to to work over some grief probably a little quicker. But I also five years down the road would have looked back and say, wow, like I went home and I got back into life. Like 
it didn't give me more time with my mom to go home after that. Like, like staying to serve was what I needed to do. And kind of in a roundabout way, I, I don't know. I think I would just console that missionary as best as I could in like a, it doesn't feel like it's all right, but it's all right. Yeah. Yeah. And knowing that for them, the right answer might be your family needs you home or that really the Lord needs you home. That's where you, and that's just honorable. Like you have people to serve either way. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things that I love about your experience is it seems like the way that it worked out just continues to support the idea of, it seems like back in my day, um, <laughs> like you had your pre-mission life, your mission life, and your post-mission life, and there was a giant brick wall on each border <laughs> of your mission life, right? And, you know, we called home twice a year and that kind of stuff. And I think for lots of people, that's exactly what they needed. That that worked well for me. I really enjoyed that. Um, but it was it was kind of difficult to get past the idea of like um, preaching the gospel is going to take you 95 years throughout your life. Like basically, you need to do that the whole time, not just while you're a missionary. Yeah. And coming home was like this, like getting a cold bucket of water on the face, whereas now it, the lines between pre-mission, mission, and post-mission are all blurred, which I love because that's how it is in real life. In real life, you should be preaching the gospel the whole time. You should be supporting your family as well as trying to build the kingdom, as well as, I mean, on a mission, you don't pursue your career, but you know what I mean? Like it's all, it's all together. It's all life. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I completely agree with that. Like calling home, you're able to be in home a little more but still in your mission and I think it makes the transition to coming home so much easier like it's still hard um and not that like you're getting a bunch of like home stuff before you're home but it's it's like you know what your family's been up to you've been able to see them you see what your siblings look like it's not a shock when they're five feet taller kind of stuff so, okay, talk to us about that, though, the transition to where you come home. And, and obviously, like you just said, there are no surprises. However, um, your mom's not at the airport. Talk to us about that. Yeah. The airport, I think, wasn't too hard. There's a lot of excitement when you come home. Like, I got to see my dad again and hug him, and that was so special. And seeing my little nephews and how big they were and one that I had never even seen in real life before and and stuff like that. It's exciting at the airport. And so it doesn't really like hurt that bad. I remember getting in the car and it hurt a little bit that my entire family was able to fit in one car. (laughs) Um, But I think the hardest thing was home. Like walking into that house felt okay. But weeks after that, it just felt like something was missing. And that something huge was gone. And that's something that's like, it's a feeling that's indescribable. And I wouldn't wish for anyone to know how to describe it. It's, it's such a lost feeling. And like I was home, but I didn't feel home for the longest time. I felt so out of place and so like lost. That's the only way I can describe it. But at the same time, 
I was excited to get into life again and moving on with things because I knew that moving on with things would help me kind of figure out how to live with that piece that was missing. That was going to be my next question. What did you do that helped you transition? Oh, geez. Um, one thing that really, really, really helped me was I I made a goal to get to the temple every other week when I was on my mission. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go twice a month for sure. And I got home and the first three weeks went by and I hadn't been once. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm such a failure. <laughs> but then I finally went with my dad and we went and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is so easy. Like, why don't, why don't I make it a goal to go every week? And so then for the next like months, I just went to the temple every single week and being home and being in life, I felt like something was missing, but being at the temple, I could feel her. And that's the only place that I could really feel like that. And making the temple a priority and making Christ a priority was what made me feel closer to her. Mm. Talk to me about your relationship with the Savior. How, how did this affect that? How did your mom's passing affect that? I think this is another one of those things where it's up to you to decide what it's going to do for you. Because I've seen people where they've lost someone and they're so angry at God and they say, why me? Or why, why this person? And it's a blame game and they're so upset. But in my experience, I, and I could tell and I could see that that wasn't going to get me anywhere. Um, and so I decided to use it as an opportunity to grow closer to Christ and to try to find the lessons and the things that I could learn and grow from. Um, something that I said a lot was that I lost my mom, but I gained like 15 more moms. And I it's funny because you lose someone and you recognize the village and the huge community that you have to support you and the people that are always there. Um, and like that brought me closer to Christ because it made me feel like, OK, like. Sometimes I feel like he's not here, but whenever I recognize these people around me that are there supporting me, like that's him, like they're sent from him. Um, something else too, like a big lesson that I learned from this and a huge turning point for my testimony. When I was first out in the mission field, um, as a missionary, you talk about faith a lot. And I think that's a big part of like teaching people, but also like learning for yourself. And I hated, absolutely hated hearing that faith brought miracles. I wanted to punch a wall. Oh my gosh, I wanted to punch a wall because I had faith and I wasn't getting the miracle I wanted. My family fasted and prayed and my mom was dying at home. Like I, oh my gosh, it made me so angry to hear that. And I kind of realized that I was being really bitter about it. Because I was like, well, obviously faith does bring miracles, so I have to stop being so angry at this. Because there's so many scripture stories and there's so many real life examples of people that do have faith and do see miracles. I just need to come up with a new definition that encompasses it all. Um, and there's a quote by Elvie Uchtdorf, and we'll see if I can remember it correctly. But it's that faith is not to change God's will, but it's to empower us to act on God's will. And whether his will is the miracles or his will is us learning from a tough situation, I recognize that that had to be my definition of faith. 
great. Faith brings miracles for you. I'm so happy for you. I love faith, but faith is a little different for me. (laughs) And coming to that understanding of faith, I think really sent me to my savior and to my father in heaven, because I had to realize that you're not going to do what I want, but I need to figure out how to act on what you want for me. And it just strengthened my testimony in enormous ways when I finally hit that wall. That is such a humble and profound description of that. Um, And I completely agree. I also think that sometimes one of the purposes of this life is to grow and to become more Christ-like and for Mm -hmm. God to teach us. And I feel like, again, going back to the school analogy, um, Sometimes when we are young in our faith, then the Lord is very quick to answer our prayers in very recognizable ways. You know, like, Heavenly Father, I need help to find my stuffed animal. Bang, there's my stuffed animal. And, you know, and I think I've got kids. And so as a parent, I think, how come when sometimes I pray to find my own stuff and I don't find it? So either my kid has more faith than me, which probably they do, or... There's a learning lesson, you know, like sometimes the Lord says, okay, hey, we're not in kindergarten level faith anymore. You are now in adult level faith. And part of that faith Mm -hmm. is understanding faith is about me bringing about my miracle, not your miracle. You know, my my will being God. Faith is about bringing out God's will, not your will. Your job is to align yourself with my will. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And yes, I smile because I agree. It's so, sometimes I think um, faith promoting stories are difficult to hear for those who have gone through trials. But I love how you said, I just need to change my definition, you know, and I would say change my perspective of, okay, for whatever reason, that was God's will. That person was supposed to be healed. And so God answered that family's fasting and prayer and priest of blessings mm-hmm. by healing. That's fantastic. That's not how God chose to answer my prayers, but that doesn't mean that I'm less loved or that I have less faith or that somehow I there's a sin that I haven't repented of or something like that. It just means that I get to learn how to apply myself to God's will. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Um, You mentioned before when we were talking about this that you felt very inspired that this experience was not just for you, that you needed to share this. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that. Going on a mission, you have to be a little vulnerable. Um, part of what they teach you in skills of being an effective missionary and being a teacher is. Um, being able to share personal experiences that are relevant um, and that help people kind of grow in their faith and recognize that like this works, the gospel works. And so I had to get vulnerable. I think it took me about a transfer and a half to really share it with anyone. Um, I remember a few times in like plan of salvation lessons, I would be like, my mom's really sick, but I know that if she passes away soon, I'll see her again. I didn't really get super vulnerable with it until a few months into my mission. Um, And I recognized that when I did, it was something that was powerful. 
um, something that really resonated with people. And so that was like inspiring to me because here I was experiencing this and being like, man, what am I supposed to learn from this? Like my mom's gone, like this sucks. She's not going to be there for this. And just like, sometimes it's super easy to get into that mindset of like what you've lost because of it. But when I would share it, I would see the things that I could gain or could give to others because of it. And while I wasn't using it as like a pity, like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm so glad you had your faith kind of a thing. But I was using it to provide strength to people. And it was so crazy because after she died and I got back into the mission field, I remember so many times in the next few transfers after that, like knocking on people's doors and being like, we just had someone pass away. We really don't have time to hear from you right now. Like, I'm sorry. Like, we don't have time or like we were not in a place. And I would be like, no, like you don't understand. Like, I know how you feel. And this is exactly what you need. Mm. And I recognized very quickly as a missionary that this experience was not just for me. And so when you get home from a mission, um, what usually happens is you're assigned to speak with someone in the high council, which is like a state office. And so super funny story. Right when I got home, my dad was put in as a high councilman and it was like a week or two after I got home. And so they assigned me to speak with him. <laughs> and so I got to go to different wards in my state and speak with my dad. And the state president said something to us and our bishop said something to us of, wow, like you guys have such an opportunity to bless the state with your story and your testimony. And my dad felt this strongly and I felt this strongly. And we both like, again, I had this realization that like, oh, my gosh, like this is not just for me. And so it's not like we had the same talk that we used every time, but we would get a topic. And it was just funny how quickly we were inspired or like how easily things fell together of sharing our experience with this topic or how perfectly our experience fit into this topic. And so we would go around once a month and speak to these wards. And, and even like now that I'm out of that, like I, I just realized that if I keep this to myself and if I just harbor these things that I've learned, it's not really doing anything. Like I've already learned them and cool. I can apply them in my life, but how much greater would it be if I can share this story or give this talk and someone else have that light bulb flick and someone else realize like, oh, maybe that's what faith means to me in my experiences. And it's crazy. But at first I was like, no, like, I don't want to seem like I want your pity. I don't want your sympathy. Like, I don't want to share that because I don't want to get all the attention from it. That's not what this is for. But I think there's a balance of humility, but a balance of willingness to be vulnerable that is necessary. Um, and that's something that I've, I felt the strong pull towards. Well, Macy, thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing your experience. 